Hi, my name is Landon, if I have not had the pleasure of meeting you. Um, I'm one of the elders here at City Beautiful Church, and I'm really glad to be here with you today. Ryan and Cole are both out of town, so I texted Ryan and said, Mom and Dad are leaving town, and I'm throwing a house party. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we've been in this series, In Search of the Beloved, kind of exploring this idea of finding God and kind of seeing how he's depicted through the book of John in the New Testament. And today we are going through chapter 11, which is the story of Lazarus. How many of you are familiar with the story of Lazarus? Okay. I thought I was too. You probably are. I was really digging into this this week, kind of preparing for this, and it just... There's a lot of layers here in this story, and so I'm kind of excited to go through that. We're going to kind of focus on the different characters of this story, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, and Jesus, and kind of see how they interact and kind of what we can learn from those things. Uh, first, I have a question. We're going to go down memory lane. How many of you have ever had a close friend of yours correct you? in a way that was actually helpful. So like correct your behavior or a decision, but kind of sit you down straight in the face and say, hey, you're doing the wrong thing. Yes, it's like four of you, okay, great. That has happened to me many times. Uh, when I was a teenager, when I was younger, I was like a lot of teenagers, I suppose, I was selfish and kind of unintentional and relationships and just running around flirting with every girl I could find. And a really good friend of mine, his name is Josh, he one day we sat down at a table and he just looked me right in the eye and said, you're acting like an idiot. Between you and me, he didn't use the word idiot. It was a little harsher, but at the time I remember kind of being like, you get instantly kind of defensive about that kind of thing. And, but then remembering, okay, this is Josh. Josh is your friend, he cares about you, you know, just kind of like calming myself down and saying, okay, I know that I trust you, you have my best interest at heart. And so then I was able to kind of receive the correction and sort of talk that through with him. And it was actually a real moment of growth for me in my life. And I can see kind of these moments where friends have done that for me. You know, we... We love the loyalty and friendship of the friend that's always there to kind of like back you up and say, yeah, like I can't believe what that person said. Like you didn't do anything wrong and just always kind of be there for you. But, you know, how often do we really like cherish those moments usually after the fact, maybe long after the fact, but of those friends who are really willing to tell it like it is and that really want the best for us despite if we can see that at all times or not. So we kind of see that in Jesus in the story in a really interesting way. The reason those interactions are productive and have been for me is because it's not just that that person is delivering truth. It's not just that what they're saying is true or that they're championing kind of the hope of the best version of you, but it's also that you trust them. It's also that they're close to you and you have that rapport, you have, you know that they are empathetic to your situation. And so what we see in Jesus in this chapter is very similar. He 
turns and leads people towards hope, but he also expresses a solidarity and kind of experiencing what they're experiencing in the moment. So what we're going to do first is I'm going to kind of whiz through the story real quick, give us all a little refresher of what happens, and then we're going to go back to the top and kind of break down these different characters and their interactions with Jesus and how he responds to them. Okay, so first, before we jump in, something I try to do, try to remind myself to do, I think it's a good exercise for all of us. It's like before we jump into scripture, take a step back, get some context, ask some of those basic questions. Who wrote this book? What was their relationship to Jesus? What is their emphasis? You know, all of these writers have an intention, you know, and John is really interesting. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because they're all very similar. John seems to take a bit of a different perspective, and he really emphasizes the meaning of Jesus. So he's a little less concerned with the ABC of the historical events, and there's always something symbolic. He uses a lot of metaphor. Um, John is the one where we get a lot of these phrases like the bread of life and light of the world and the vine and the lamb of God. We find a lot of these things in John, and there's always kind of something under the surface there that he's really trying to get us to dig into. Um, and so I'm hoping we can take some of that up today. Okay, so our story, the beginning of chapter 11, starts in the wilderness. What is Jesus usually doing in the wilderness? Praying. Um, so as is kind of his custom, we see him kind of develop this pattern through his ministry and life of finding solitude to pray and to kind of seek God's will and timing for a specific situation. So where we're at in the story is things are kind of starting to ramp up, as Greg mentioned, towards Holy Week, which is a series of events that ends in Jesus dying and resurrecting, right? So a lot of things, there's kind of like attention building in the story. And so Jesus is in the wilderness, the other side of the Jordan River from Jerusalem, taking some time to make sure the timing is right for him to kind of step into that series of events. So he gets word that his good friend Lazarus is sick. And he kind of has a strange response. The way the story is told, he doesn't do what I think we would expect, which is like, get up real quick and run to Lazarus and help him. He kind of says, okay, and he says he stayed there for two more days. And there's a lot of schools of thought about kind of why that is, and we can kind of read in different intentions to Jesus, but I think if we take a step back and realize some of the context here of what happened before this chapter, what's happening after, we can kind of find, I think there's a, a very interesting kind of deeper reality to Jesus' behavior in this whole situation. So, so he stays, continues praying, hears from the Lord that Lazarus has died, or we assume so because it doesn't say he got word again. But he goes to his disciples and says, okay, now it's time to go to Bethany, which is the town in which Lazarus has been buried. It's a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. It's time to go there. And he says, this sickness will not end in death. And the disciples, as usual, take a little bit of convincing. They finally get on board. And 
they all go to Bethany. When Jesus gets to the outskirts of town, Martha, which is our first kind of character in the story, comes to meet Jesus. So Martha and Mary are the sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus, Martha and Mary, as we learn from scripture, are old friends of Jesus. So these are like childhood friends. And they're basically Jesus' family. And so Martha, Martha is the active one. She's usually busy, kind of helping and doing things. Doesn't typically express a lot of emotion when we see her in stories. And she has a really interesting posture when she comes to Jesus. She comes to Jesus and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she responds with, I know he'll be resurrected in the end. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Basically trying to get Martha to see that truth is here right now. So they have this interaction. And then Martha goes back to get Mary, who did not come with her to see Jesus. And Mary is a kind of equal counterpart of Martha. She's feisty. She's usually very emotionally expressive. She gets really worked out. So they express themselves very differently. And I think that's something that John wants us to recognize here because Martha goes to Mary and says, Jesus is here and he's asking for you. Mary quickly gets up, storms out of the room she's in, the other Jewish people that are with her assume she's going to the tomb to mourn because of how, it says because of how, they see how quickly she gets up and leaves. And she goes to Jesus. And she has the exact same phrase. She says the exact same thing. So it's John kind of wanting us to see this intentional parallel between the two of them. And she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she does it by throwing herself at the feet of Jesus. And her interaction seems to have, you know, if we see kind of her sitting in the house, not going to greet Jesus when he gets there, I think she's really struggling with the situation. You know, it's like, you're the Messiah. You running around, healing all these people, doing all these great things, and us, your family, are basically left here to fend for ourselves, you know. And so she has this really emotional response. And it seems like Jesus responds to her kind of coldly. I mean, it does say when Jesus sees her weeping, he is moved and troubled. But then the first thing he says is, where have you put him? And they say in the tomb, let's go to see him. And it doesn't seem like a great way to respond. <laughs> Mary is clearly very distraught and likely angry with Jesus and confused about kind of like she has this faith and this understanding of who he is, but then not knowing, maybe expecting that this wasn't the way this was supposed to happen. And But we see them move, and we're going to, as we go back through this, we're going to re-examine um, that and see kind of how I really think Jesus does something really valuable for Mary in this moment. But they go to the tomb. Jesus asks them to roll away the stone 
And then he calls to Lazarus to come out. And as we know, Lazarus raises from the dead, comes out of the tomb. Everyone celebrates. Word is passed to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, a couple of miles away. And this officially starts the chain reaction that ends in his crucifixion. The religious leaders say, okay, well, if he's raising people from the dead, people are going to believe that he's God. And the Romans want everyone to believe that Caesar is God. So if we have all these Jewish people that start following this Jesus character, the Romans are going to come in and they're going to take away our authority and they're going to squash all of this. So their idea is if we get rid of Jesus ourselves, we can at least maintain this semblance of authority and this kind of weird relationship that we have with Rome. Okay, so that's our chapter 11 story. So we're going to go back through now and look at these different interactions in a little more detail and see kind of what's going on there. And I think it'll be really interesting. Spoiler alert, Jesus is really awesome in this story. Okay, so we are going to rewind to when Martha goes and meets Jesus. It's in verse 17 if you are interested in following along. You can also read it on the screen. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been dead in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Kind of classic cryptic Jesus. Sounds like a trick question or something. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So what do we see in Martha here? She comes to Jesus and she holds every, most of her responses in this dialogue, this exchange, start with the words, I know. So she, she's kind of saying, hey, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But then she kind of keeps responding with what she understands. But she doesn't, at least in the way that's described, she doesn't seem to be distraught like we see in Mary. So she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, but I know that God will still give you whatever you ask. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She says, I know he will rise again in the end. So she's saying like, I understand that this is all better someday. I get the theology. And she's kind of using that to keep the situation at arm's length. And Jesus is trying to kind of draw Martha forward and say, yes, that future hope is real, but you're, he's wanting her to see that like God's writing a new story, that there's something happening right now. And if you're only focused on the future hope, you're going to miss that thing. And so she's hopeful, but she's not present. She's not She's not letting herself get close to 
the brokenness and really be affected by the situation. She's using her, she's trying to protect her understanding of the world and the way things work. And it's okay, in all of these things when we're talking about Martha, my intention is not to communicate that it's not a good thing to get comfort in peace from our belief in a future hope. But I think there's more. It's a yes and. It's God saying, yes, that is good. It's good to be comforted by that, but I don't want you to miss the here and now. And so Jesus calls Martha back into the moment. She's kind of dwelling ahead in the future hope, and he's saying like, hey, something is happening right here, right now. This life-giving power that you believe in, that you understand, is available for you to experience right now if you're willing to see it and participate in it, which I think is really powerful. And I want to look at the church as Martha. So how do we see Martha in us? I think we operate as Martha when we think it's our role just to disperse information to the world, that if we just send truth to the world, if we just send the Bible verse or the thoughts and prayers, you know, line that we've done our duty, but I think Jesus is saying, like, those things are great. The truth is good. Telling people what is true is great. But you can't do that without also seeing what God's doing in the moment and seeing what Jesus models here, which is that he comes close. And he says, yes, there is that truth. And he wants us to have that, but he also wants us to be close. He wants that that presence. And so I think we obviously see this nowhere more than we see it on the internet. And I think it's because Inherently, the internet does not deliver that half. Just It doesn't give us the face-to-face companionship. It doesn't give us the company. It doesn't let us get close to that thing. So it's, I disagree with Mark. So I just say, hey, Mark, I disagree with you. Here's that thing. If Mark and I don't have a relationship that's going to, make him want to actually sit and say, oh, maybe you're right. Maybe I'll think about that. If it's just this argument of understanding, if my goal is just to give him truth, just to say, hey, here's how this works. If you understand this, that I'm somehow expressing Jesus. But if I don't come close, if I don't hand deliver that truth, then I think we're, we're really missing out on what the story of Jesus really is and kind of what expressing Jesus to the world really looks like. Thank you. I did not make it up. Okay, so we're going to move on to Mary. And I will pick up where we left off in verse 28. And it says, after she had said this, this is Martha, She went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with, along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. We're going to circle back to the Jesus wept part, but I really want to take a look at Mary in this situation. Mary is the flip side of Martha, as we said before. John is very intentionally showing us a parallel between both of their postures with Jesus. So if Martha is hopeful but not present, what we see in Mary is that she is present, but she's not hopeful. So she's, she's up close to what's happening. She's aware of the, the situation. She's allowing herself to be affected, but she's lost sight of the future hope. She's lost sight of where Jesus is going. So she's in the moment, but she's static. She's not moving forward towards the healing that God has. And so Jesus calls her forward into hope. So he calls Martha back into the current moment to see what God's doing right now. And he calls Mary forward out of the current moment and says, I want you to see where this is going. So it's, he expresses a solidarity with her in the moment, but then also says, but we're going somewhere. There's more. And so he doesn't just console her. He doesn't just sit with her, but he also acts as a catalyst for healing both in Mary's life and obviously in Lazarus' life. So how do we see this played out in our own lives? So if we look at the church as Mary. I think we function as Mary when we validate the honesty and humanity of the people we come in contact with, but we don't function as a source of life and healing for those people. And it's not this one is good and the other isn't. It's that they're really both meant to be together. And so I think when we're functioning as Mary, we're coming close to people and we're empathizing and we're acknowledging people's worth and we do what Jesus does and we say, you're good and you're worthy and you're not alone. But I think if we're not careful, we can miss out on the next part. Jesus is close, but he's moving. You know, and I think that's a really powerful thing to remember is, yes, Jesus is close to us, but he's going somewhere. He's bringing us somewhere. And so I think when we express his nearness to people that we come in contact with, we also want to remember that we're moving towards hope. That yes, all of those things are true. They're not alone and they're loved. We are not alone and we are loved. But God is saying, and there is more. And we're moving forward to a resurrection life, to a fully new you, to a fully new being, a fully new creation. I told you, Jesus is killing it. Just awesome. Okay, so then we go to Lazarus. Lazarus, I think in this 
in understanding the symbolism of John, Lazarus, even for our purposes today, really represents that past the point of no return, the lost cause. It, John makes a point to say that, we read it earlier, that they tell Jesus that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Now, the reason that's important is there was a Jewish superstition and a belief that said that after you die, your spirit stays around your body for three days. It's sort of like a probation period. So it's staying around, hoping that it gets another chance, hoping that it can re-enter your body. If that doesn't happen in three days, your spirit leads, leaves and enters to the afterlife. So, John including that and saying, Lazarus has been dead for four days, anyone reading that at the time would have known, oh, he's like officially dead, officially gone. There's no, even in their beliefs, there's no coming back from more than three days in the tomb. And so this adds kind of this element to this where Jesus then is able to step forward to the tomb and kind of prove that even he can still reach someone unreachable. But how he does that is in the balance that we see him express with Martha and Mary. It's that he's close, he's there, and it's also that he sees that future hope and is intent on getting it. And so we see... I just think that's so interesting and so beautiful in Jesus that he kind of lives with that, what I think we consider to be tension or this like dichotomy of you can be close and agreeable or you can be, you can speak truth and be disagreeable. But I don't think it has to be this two ends, two opposite ends of a spectrum. What we see in Jesus that when those things are brought together and we express those things hand in hand, we see a real life-giving power that I think Jesus is trying to model to us. So there's something really interesting a context here that I think is that really kind of like was one of those mind-blowing moments for me digging into this. Jesus seems there are a few verses in this story that are all kind of confusing. You know, it's his response to Mary, he's troubled, they say come to the tomb and he weeps. And I think even him weeping for me, for a long time, it's been a very strange thing. You know, it's like, yeah, it's great that he shows solidarity and allows himself to be, like, a, affected by what other people are experiencing and even what he's experiencing. But then there was a side of, like, okay, well, if he knows, though, that he's, as he says earlier, that the sickness does not end in death, that, you know, he's going to rise, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, it seems a little bit strange that he would still... I mean, and I'm speaking for myself maybe, but it seems like knowing that's about to happen, you'd actually be really excited. <laughs> you'd be like, oh, I know, like, come on, this is going to be great. You know, it's like there's this excitement, this expectation. But I think if we zoom back for a minute and kind of see this greater context, we realize that this is a really beautiful human moment for Jesus. So as we said before, when he was in the wilderness, he's on the other side of the Jordan River from Jerusalem. Where we're at in Jesus' life, the last two times he was in Jerusalem, they tried to kill him. So it's very clear 
stay away from Jerusalem. There's a lot of trouble there, which is why the disciples take a little bit of convincing because when he says, okay, it's time to go to see Lazarus, they're like, Jesus, we've been over there before. You know, <laughs> you did some pretty cool stuff, like to not get killed the first two times, but, you know, why would we go, Lazarus is dead, why would we go risk all of that? And what we see is really interesting. So Jesus then, they go, they take some convincing. Worth noting that Thomas, who we often, I think, unfairly label as doubting Thomas, is actually the one that says we should go with him and die with Jesus. Um, So I think what we see as, this is a little kind of rabbit trail, but I think what we see as doubt in Thomas is really this like, he has this real devoted belief in Jesus. And I think in the end when they say he's risen, he's like, ah, I don't believe it. Like, got to see it with my own eyes. I think is not this skeptical thing as much as it's like, don't mess with me until I see it. I'm not going to believe it because of how important this is to me. Because he's the one that says, let's go and give our life with Jesus if that's what this takes. So Jesus comes to the edge of town. He's at the edge of this little town called Bethany, which again is, you know, there's a lot of geography happening. Jerusalem, Bethany, Jordan River, wilderness. <laughs> Jesus comes across <laughs> to Bethany and stays on the outskirts of town and they come and see him, but he hasn't gone into Bethany yet to the tomb because he knows as soon as we go to the tomb, there's going to be more people there. As soon as I raise Lazarus from the dead, People are going to talk about that, and then he basically knows what's going to happen. The religious leaders are going to hear about that, and then we go through all of these events that we now um, walk through in Holy Week, which is this whole sequence that ends in Jesus being crucified. And so I think that's a real weight. You know, we see this dichotomy in Jesus of being human and being divine, and I think this is a really powerful human moment after Mary comes to him and he's troubled and he's moved, that's when he's expressing the solidarity with Mary. And he's saying like, I'm with you, I'm feeling this. But then kind of as we talked about, he then turns her towards hope and says, yes, I'm with you, you're not alone in this. Validates what she's feeling, but then says, there's healing ahead if you'll come with me. And he takes her to that. But then when he says, where have you put him? And they say, in the tomb, we'll show you. That's when it says Jesus wept. And what we recognize in this big context that we just talked through is that Jesus knows this is it. He was in the wilderness, praying for timing, praying for the Lord's will, kind of when to, because, you know, he's known this is going to happen. He's going to give his life, and he knows, okay, this is it. As soon as we go to this tomb, it's essentially Jesus turning himself in. So what, what Mary is seeing as this, you didn't do things the way I thought you should have, and frankly, think you did them the wrong way, you know, like obviously it would be better if Lazarus hadn't died, but I think what 
what we're missing in the greater context of the story and even what happens after is that Jesus is quite literally giving his life so that Lazarus can live. So there's this beautiful symbolism that we see where Jesus coming to the tomb is him giving his life. It's this foretelling of what's about to happen. Him giving his life so that Lazarus can live. And so in that moment, we are Lazarus. And Jesus is expressing that, hey, I'm here giving myself for this future hope so that you can experience the resurrection life that's here. But he is also Lazarus. He is also going to experience that with us. It's that he shows the solidarity in the human experience with us, shows what will happen to us by giving his life and also a foretelling of his own resurrection. So it's this, that both ends seems a little strange, maybe to explain that we're Lazarus and Jesus is Lazarus and everyone's Lazarus. Um, but the beauty of the resurrection is that we come to life with Jesus. That we are that he, he models that, he leads, he gives his life so that with him, we might all have life. We might experience that resurrection power. And that for me was just like, <laughs> I was reading this commentary on it, kind of digging into the stuff. And man, is that not like just the clearest picture of Jesus? You know, he's experiencing the weight of what he's stepping into. He's experiencing the reality of what it takes to deliver resurrection life to the world. And he feels the weight of that and he weeps, but he still goes to the tomb. And uh, N.T. Wright says something really interesting about that. Um, so at the tomb, some Jews that are watching say, see how he loved him, talking about Jesus to Lazarus. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And N.T. Wright offers this um, really great perspective, I think. He says, this passage points forward, points us forward to the questions that will be asked at Jesus' own death. Couldn't the man who did so many signs have brought it about that he himself didn't have to die? Couldn't the one who saved so many have in the end saved himself? John is telling us the answer by a thousand hints and images throughout his book. It is only through his death, it is only through his own sharing of the common fate of humanity that the world can be saved. There is a line straight on from Jesus' tears in verse 35 to the death in, with, in which Jesus will share not only the grief but also the doom of the world. I know that's a lot, that's a long statement, but we see this beautiful kind of foretelling of the sacrifice of Jesus. But I think there's this really, something for us today I think that we can take from this is that we see that it's Jesus' balance that equips him for this. He's present with Mary he shows solidarity. He's affected by brokenness. He gets his hands dirty. He gets right up close and experiences that with us. He also validates 
our belief in this future hope, this future reality that we all get to be reborn and are being reborn. But it's that he's both of those things that's like the real key, I think, to unlocking being able to really minister to the world, to really deliver the power of Jesus, which is that resurrection life. If we do it with one side or the other, if we're doing Jesus a disservice and we're not, we're not really expressing it, you know, it's like we see all through the scriptures these instructions to lay hands on the sick and pray for them and to feed the poor and to take care of widows and all of these instructions are in person, face to face, sharing in that experience. So yes, we are delivering truth. Yes, we are pointing people to Jesus. Yes, we are saying, hey, there's more for you. There's more that you can be. There's more that we all can be. Let's go there together. And it's also like being being affected, not doing that from a distance, not just throwing our understanding at the problem, but really delivering that truth and that healing in person, being a catalyst for that change. You guys tracking with me? Man, it's juicy. So good. Okay, so I want us to, we're going to recap a little bit. So to Martha, she uses her understanding to keep herself at arm's length from being affected by the world around her. And to her, Jesus says, come back to me. Yes, that future hope is great, but don't miss what I'm doing right now. I'm here right now, writing a new story, doing a new thing. Don't lose sight of that in the midst of kind of focusing your gaze on that future hope. And to Mary, he says, come forth to me. You're in the moment. You're here. You're getting up close. You're allowing yourself to be affected. But don't lose sight of the future hope. Let's go there together. Jesus doesn't just point Mary to hope. It's not our job to point people towards the hope and truth of Jesus. It's our job to take them there to walk there with them. There's that inherent relationship element I think that's really necessary if we really want to see that life-giving power expressed and demonstrated. And then to Lazarus, Jesus says, come out. So it's like his ability to reach the unreachable. He says to Lazarus, you're not beyond redemption. You're not beyond grace. You're not beyond the power of this resurrection life. And he calls him forward into the light. So what do we see in the church as Jesus? We've talked about kind of the church, how we operate in these other characters, but how do we express Jesus? And I think it's with that understanding that yes, we share truth. Yes, we champion that future hope. We tell people that there's more than the life they have and the way they're living, that there's this greater thing, that there's this real power. 
but we also live life with those people. We give ourselves for them. You know, we see that Jesus, he keeps matching the need with his response. So Martha needs presence, and Jesus gives his presence. He says, I'm right here, be with me. Mary needs hope, and Jesus gives her hope. He stands with her and then says, let's move towards life. And Lazarus needs life, and Jesus gives his life so that Lazarus, so that all of us can experience that resurrection power. It's his nearness so when we look at Jesus, his nearness is accompanied by an invitation. So I think for us, I just want to keep like driving this idea home that yes, it's great to be close to people, to validate them, to champion their humanity and their worth and to also be a force, be active in the next step, be active in the resurrection life. It's not just about going around and giving free hugs to everyone, but it's about being close to them and then doing something. And that doesn't mean we are like, oh, we gotta run around and like get close to everyone so we can fix them. That's not what I'm saying. It, that, that's a genuine closeness. What we see in Jesus is sacrifice. This isn't a prescription for go get close to people so you can minister to them. Jesus quite literally gives his life for Lazarus and for all of us. And we see it so beautifully depicted in this story. And I think if we, if we pick one side or the other, we miss out on something so important. For me, we know we talk a lot about Enneagram numbers and Myers-Briggs, and we've been on like a big kick on that recently. And for those of you who are familiar, I am a number five. For those of you who are not familiar, that just means I'm analytical. I want the information. Tell me about the science. What, what are the numbers? What's the evidence? So it's my tendency to be Martha to use my understanding, my theology as a, a bunker, which is kind of what I talked about last time I was here speaking, was I use that to keep myself separated when I should be using that to equip me to get closer. Our understanding of that future hope should let us get closer, should let us be more affected, not less affected, by the brokenness that we encounter in our own lives and in the lives of other people. So we're going to go into a time of reflection and I would like everyone just to close your eyes. We're going to take a deep breath. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions that I would like you to ponder. How do you operate? How do you respond to difficulty, to questions, to loss, to brokenness in your own life and in the life of someone else? 
Are you more like Martha? Do you use your understanding, your theology, your trust in this future hope as a shield instead of as a bridge? Do you protect yourself from getting from being affected by brokenness? And if that's you, Jesus is saying to you, come back to me. There's more that's happening in the here and now, right in front of you. That future hope, that resurrection power is available right now. Don't miss it. And don't sell it short by reducing it to information that other people need to understand. They do not have an understanding problem. They have an experience problem. They need to experience that truth. Or are you more like Mary? Are you so caught up in the moment and in what's happening around you that you can't see hope? Do you feel like you're static? That you're present with others? That you're honest about yourself? But maybe you're missing that next step. You don't feel the motion that Jesus is calling us into. You don't feel that move to that hope, to that resurrection life. And if that's you, Jesus is saying, come forward to me. There is hope. There is life. It's right ahead. You just have to reach out and touch it. And where do you see Lazarus? Where do you see hopelessness? Is it in your own life? Is it in the life of a stranger or a friend or someone who used to be a friend? Is it in someone you consider your enemy or someone you disagree with? What situations do you approach as hopeless that you've written off? Jesus wants to speak to that thing and say, come out, come into the light, come experience this resurrection life. And he wants to do that through us, expressing these two parts of Jesus and the power that he shows us and that he is for us. How can you be more like Jesus? Pursuing healing and life and being present and giving of yourself.
really think about how you function in those moments. What do you do when you experience disagreement? When you experience loss? Or doubt? Or fear? And what is Jesus asking of you in response to that? <laughs>